Want to get the edge in your Premier League betting predictions? Pinnacle delved deeper into the data behind all of the Premier League matches every single game week. We combine Pinnacle's sharp betting markets with the game's latest analytical metrics to help you find value in the odds. This is EPL Insights. Hello and welcome to EPL Insights. And no, your ears aren't deceiving you. The Gareth accent hasn't turned into a Yorkshire one. It's Jay Cosgathorpe here. I'm in the hosting chair. Gareth's on a well-deserved break and he's on a break off the back of a smashing weekend of profit as well. He landed six of his nine plays with one push uh, and profit of plus 3.3 units. I'm sure that will be getting spent very well on holiday where the Gar- wherever Gareth is. Um, I was also in the green in game week two, though not as emphatically as Gareth, just a plus 0.88 units profit. But as I keep saying, early on in the season, any profit will absolutely take. Um, with me to dissect the Premier League action and hopefully bank some more profit as we look ahead to game week three is UCL betting blueprint regular and pinnacle content contributor. That's a mouthful. Andrew Beasley. Uh, thanks for stepping in, Andrew. Um, how's things? Have you found the Premier League so far? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. I'm a little surprised that Gareth needs a holiday after just two weeks, but, um, you know, here I am ready to, <laughs> ready to step into the breach. Um, I think the new season has been, has been quite interesting. I think there's been some, um, you know, noteworthy developments. And at the same time, I think a lot of teams are kind of playing as we expected. You can't always guarantee that at the start of the, of a season. But, um, yeah, I think things are sort of panning out as most people would have, would have seen. So, um, yeah, see how we go this week. Yeah, it's been interesting, hasn't it? I mean, I was looking through some of the stats. Uh, a good friend of mine, Mark O'Hare, put out a really good tweet earlier in the week looking at the, you know, the goal corner and card averages from year to year. And, you know, they're massively up. I mean, the goals have gone from 2.85 per game last season to three this season. I know we're very early on, so we are taking these with a pinch of salt. The cards have jumped from 3.76 to 5.33 per game. And the corners have jumped by a full corner from 10.07 to 11. So, yeah, I mean, you know, what, what, what is this down to in your mind? Uh, is it solely down to the new rules that, you know, the extra time that we've been seeing? Um, do we just have more attack minded coaches in the league this season or is it just a combination of everything? I mean, it is likely a combination of everything. I think perhaps the cards one is, is, is the most interesting because of how much they've, they've rocketed. Obviously, they seem to have, um, amended the rules or at least how they're going to apply the rules in terms of dissent and time wasting and things like this which I don't think anybody is against, but it, it always takes a little while for these things to settle down. Um, there were five red cards, I believe, last uh, match week, which was the most since around this time in 2015. Don't normally see that many in one go. Um, but it is common for, for there to be more red cards early on in the season. I mean, my sort of pet theory is that referees like to sort of, you know, look like they're in charge for the first few weeks. And then, then after that, everything sort of settled down again. But, but we have seen that this season and it looks likely to continue, assuming they do maintain these rules regarding um, dissent and time wasting. As I say, I, I'm sure like, you know, fans and, and betters alike would like to see a little more consistency. We've seen players, some players booked for waving imaginary cards and others not. And, you know, that sort of thing can be a little bit irritating, both as a fan and a better. But um, yeah, that, that seems to be where the biggest shift has changed with the cards. So it will be interesting to see if it, settles down as it has tended to do in past years, whether it's this is here to stay and we're going to be seeing sort of four and five and six cards on a regular basis. Absolutely, yeah. Just to 
just to like hit home that five red cards last week. They're only nine games. So there's more, you know. There's that's a really high ratio for red cards. Um, some of them very soft. Some of them overturned as well. <laughs> which, um, you know, it just continues to just beg the question: like, what is the point in VAR if you're not going to use it properly? Um, you know, that thing is it. There was one the previous week, wasn't there? The Wolves one where they came out and said it should have been a penalty, and it's like, well, no good saying that after the fact. Um, try and get it right there and then. So, yeah, that, that's going to be a continued debate point throughout the season, no doubt. There'll be numerous more of those um, questionable decisions that perhaps either get overturned or aren't given, uh, and then they apologise for afterwards. Um, but, yeah, let's move on. Um, thank you to at the Jimmy Kid and Julian Skyfish on Twitter, who highlighted to me that my keyboard was extremely loud in last week's show. <laughs> this is the keyboard. Uh, it does make a racket for some reason, but... It's not going to see any action moving forward. You'll be pleased to know. So I'm going to put that down here. Um, so looking back to game week two, there are actually no draws across the nine matches, which was really interesting. But there were some fascinating line moves, um, most notably for the two favourites for the title. Man City opened up at a minus 244. Minus 244 to beat Newcastle, but they closed at minus 115. So there was a 17% probability swing that went against Manchester City. Could be to do with the fact they played in midweek. Maybe people overestimated Newcastle um, and their win over Aston Villa. It was similar for Arsenal as well. They opened at minus 185 uh, to beat Crystal Palace and closed at minus 108. So a 13% probability swing. Both of them obviously went on to win. So if you'd waited for you know closer to the kickoff time, you were getting really good prices on the two favourites for the league. And, and both of them ended up coming through. And I, find, I think that's fascinating. It'd be interesting to see how that kind of progresses across the season, whether we see more drifts like that. But is there anything interesting that's caught your eye so far in what is a very young Premier League season, Andrew? Well, as I sort of mentioned at the start, I think it is um, worth noting that a lot of teams are kind of playing like like we expected. Um, you know, we've seen it at, at Tottenham, um, probably a little bit fortunate to beat Man United last week. United had um, several good chances in the first half. But then Tottenham kicked on and, and as they did away from home in tough games last year, United couldn't really respond once they'd gone behind despite a good start. So that sort of thing is, is the kind of thing that we're expecting to see. You know, I've listened to the, to the episodes and, and yourself and, and Gav talking about how difficult it is at this time of the season. And I, and I sort of generally agree with that. But I think a lot of things have kind of panned out as we, as we would have thought. But, um, things can quickly change. You know, um, teams have been on good and bad runs. I mean, you know, we'll get onto the games this week. Wolves versus Everton looks sort of massive at the bottom of the table already and, and stuff like that. The outcome of that could have a huge impact on things. So there's all these things to, to sort of take account of. But I think most teams are sort of performing broadly how uh, how most people would have expected. Yeah, I think the, the Everton-Wolves game, which we will touch upon, is potentially huge for both. Um, and yeah, my third thing that's caught my eye so far is just how bad Fulham are defensively still. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure we'll touch on them later on. They're, they're away at Arsenal this weekend. And yeah, they're just all over the place. I've just put a video out on Twitter. Um, Twitter, is that what it's called nowadays? The cool kids <laughs> calling it X. Um, yeah, just put a video out um, on, on Fulham and just how they could be primed for what, you know, inverted commas, second season syndrome. Um, so they're definitely one to watch. And in my opinion, a team to oppose. But uh, we'll move on to the feature five. So every week we run through five of key games First off, and then we do rapid fire, spin through really quick bets for the other five. First of the five this week is Bournemouth taking on Tottenham. 
Um, Bournemouth, they were beaten by Andrews, Liverpool. Um, they're still in search for their first win under Iraola. Um, you know, they did get on the score sheet Anfield, which, you know, is, I guess most teams do that nowadays, but, um, it's still, it shows a sign of progress for Bournemouth, given they were beaten 9-0 there last season. Um, they take on a Tottenham team who picked up their first win under Ange Postecoglou, who beat United. They scored twice in both of their matches so far under him. So again, leaning on what we've talked about before and this front foot attacking style, uh, going to lead to plenty of goals. And interestingly, both games last season finished 3-2 to the visitors. Um, so again, plenty of goals, a couple of away wins there. Bournemouth, they come into this priced at plus 278 to win. Spurs at minus 107. The spread is half a goal and the goal line is set at three. So it's a fairly high goal line. There's a couple of notable absentees. Bournemouth, new signing Alex Scott and Tyler Adams are both out. Marcus Tavernier and Dango Watara are also out. For Spurs, they're still missing Rodrigo Bentenko, who's quite a big player for them in midfield. And I, I imagine, you know, when he comes back playing alongside Basuma, that could be really exciting. Um, and yeah, James Madison's the other one that's really interesting. He was wearing a protective boot after the Manchester United game. He's currently being assessed. Um, the injury site I use have got him listed at 50-50 to play. So we'll have to see on that. Um, Andrew, any thoughts on this game? Any bets? Yeah, well, I've been um, quite impressed with Bournemouth so far. I'm sort of developing this sort of pet theory that they're they're going to be sort of like the new Brighton. And, and what I mean by that, when you look back to when Brighton first came up, they were managed by Chris Hewton. And he kept them up and then he was fired in the summer and it seemed like a huge shock to a lot of people that he was. But when you looked at their underlying numbers, they were a bit lucky to stay up. And obviously, Brighton owner Tony Bloom, you know, made his money in betting and stuff. He's going to know about all that kind of all that kind of stuff. And you look at Bournemouth last uh, summer and uh, summer just gone. And it's basically the same thing. They stayed up and they looked like they were very lucky to do so. And they've dismissed with Gary O'Neill and brought in Iriola. And I think we'll see what happened at Brighton. At Brighton, Graham Potter came in, and although the points didn't rock it up immediately by any means, he improved the underlying process. And I think Iraola is going to do the same thing as Bournemouth. They might not win all that many more points than last season, but I do believe he's going to improve them as a team and improve their their process and give them a better chance of staying in the league by more than luck, which I think was was partly the case last year. So as I say, I'm, I've sort of been impressed. Obviously, it's early days. Um, but I think that I thought they played well against um, Liverpool. I didn't see the West Ham game in full, but obviously that's a decent point for them there. I think what's interesting, they were top for failing to score last season, but they've already gone from 9.4 shots per game to 13.5, which is a good sign. Obviously, some of that will be from playing against 10 men um, for about half an hour against Liverpool. But even so, that that's encouraging. And then there's Tottenham, who had a reputation for being quite dull last season, and yet their game saw the most goals, 3.5 on average. They had quite a few crazy results on there. As you mentioned, both meetings of these teams ended 3-2 to the away team. And even though both have changed managers, I, I sort of look, look at them and think, well, yeah, but I think both these teams can can hurt the other in this game. So um, in terms of a bet, I mean, I was looking at both teams to score and over 2.5 goals. Um that was one, minus 119 when I looked earlier this week. It's now shown minus 117. Um, but I think something like that is the way to go for me. Um, you see it any different? No, not really. I, I think goals is definitely on the cards. Um, I, it's, fan, it's a fascinating battle. Two new managers, two teams that I expect to improve. I, I feel the same way as you about Bournemouth. I think they're definitely going to be ones to watch this season, um, just just purely from an entertainment perspective more than anything. Um mm-hmm. 
And yeah, Spurs, they come into this, they weren't they weren't as good as what the result and I guess the hype would suggest following that win over United, you know. Post game it was all about, oh, United were terrible, you know, Spurs were brilliant. Well, you, you know, I watched a game, United should have been one nil, two nil up, you know. Yeah. At half time the XG was one point seven five to zero point five in Man United's favour. You know, that so like you said at the start, it was one of those where Spurs got themselves in front and United didn't really have any answers after that. But it would have been a completely different game if United would have taken one of their early chances. And, you know, full-time, the XG was 2.5 apiece. So, yeah, the 2-0 was a very flattering result on Spurs. Um, and I guess that the only reason that didn't go overs uh, was because United didn't have the finishing boots on. Um, yeah, Man United, at Bournemouth, they, they didn't take too many risks at Anfield in, uh, in terms of... You know that I was expecting a little bit more front foot. I expect them to create a few more chances. Um, they ended up finish uh, XG with about one point four, but quite a lot of that came after the red card. Liverpool were pretty much in cruise control throughout. Um, but they are a high pressing team, uh, and Spurs are also a very high pressing team. So I, I do think this is going to be a good game. I think there's going to be plenty of goals. I just think Spurs are a bit short in the market. I think there's been a bit too much of an overreaction um, around the Spurs win against Man United. Um, and yeah, when when there's a lot of goals involved, there's generally the variance can be quite high. Um, and I was looking at Bournemouth to win at, at plus 278 as a fairly big price. It's only going to be a half unit play for me. I'm not going to go full unit on that, given the price. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to ride with Bournemouth and, and just really take a chance in this in this early kickoff. And, you know, Gareth, he isn't here on the podcast, but he sent his picks so we can keep track of them. Uh, he's also taking a similar approach to me um, usually we're the opposite way around I'm usually the conservative and he's usually the risk taker but I'm taking a risk this time going full Bournemouth to win and, and Gareth's gone with a, a Bournemouth on the handicap plus 0.5 at minus 105 so yeah I think we're all in the same lines in terms of being quite a high scoring game myself and Gareth we're leaning towards Bournemouth getting a positive result and yeah I think it's going to be a cracking game to get us kicked off yeah, I couldn't really, I couldn't really settle on a sort of general match bet, which is why I went for just sort of goals and both teams scoring. But, um, yeah, it's a tough one to predict for me. But, um, as you say, I think it's certainly going to be an entertaining game, maybe the game of the weekend, actually. Yeah, cracking way to start. Um, let's move on to the second of our feature five. We're coming from Old Trafford. Manchester United, they host Nottingham Forest. Fair to say United have been a little bit unconvincing so far. Um, they were poor versus Wolves, obviously lost to Spurs. The performance wasn't as bad as that result would suggest at Tottenham, as we've just talked about. Um, they've been excellent at home, though, under Eric Ten Hag. They've won 16 of 20 home games since his arrival. Um, visitors Forest, very competitive at the end of their match against Arsenal, but for about 85 minutes, it was a no contest. Um, and then they beat Sheffield United as well last time out, which was... I guess to be expected, they went off as uh, as odds on favourites, and you know quite a lot of us expecting Sheffield United to struggle this season. And um, I don't say that with a smile because I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan, but because um, <laughs> we're not doing great ourselves down in the Championship. Um, but yeah, I think most teams will expect to beat Sheffield United whenever they play them. So uh, make of that victory what you will. Forest away from home since returning to the Premier League, just one win in twenty matches. They lost fourteen of those. Um, at recent head-to-heads they met four times last season just the four um, and United won to nil in all four of those matches uh, an aggregate of 10 nil across those so it wasn't close at all when these two met um, United they go off at minus 312 favourites so I think they're the third shortest favourite this week 
Um, Forest a huge plus 8.17 to win at Old Trafford. The spread is set at one and a half. And the goal line is at three as well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. The stats would suggest that United are going to win comfortably. There are a couple of absentees for United. Uh, Terrell Malassia is definitely out. And there's reports that Rasmus Hoyland could be in the squad for this game. Uh, it was looking unlikely at the start of the week, but United's big money striker, um, he could well feature, which would be interesting given the fact they missed a lot of chances last week. Um, the only notable absentee for Nottingham Forest is Ola Aina. He's likely to miss out. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go first here because I've got a very strong play in this one. I am taking Man United minus one and a half on the Asian handicap, a full unit play at minus 111. Um, as already stated, the head-to-head was extremely heavily in United's favour last season. Home form under Ten Hag's excellent. Forest are really, really bad travellers. Um, but just to elaborate a bit more, United's expected goal difference per game when playing at home last season was plus 1.31. So they were extremely dominant um, in, in terms of you know XG supremacy when playing at home. They won eight of 10 against bottom half teams. Um, and yeah, six of those eight were to nil. Six of those eight were um, covered this minus one and a half handicap. So very, very good when playing the lesser lights. And Forrest lost nine of 10 against the top half last season. Average just 0.83 expected goals for per game uh, away from home since promotion. So very rarely threatened. Um, and in seven of those nine defeats against top half last last season, they actually lost by a, a wider margin than two goals. So the handicap would have landed in seven of those nine. Um, that's my play. That's also Gareth's play. He's going for the, the same bet as me. Um, is it a hat-trick, Andrew? Uh, not quite. I was um, certainly tempted by that for, for a lot of the reasons that you said. Um, I was also potentially looking at United to win to nil at plus 131. You've already mentioned that they beat Forest with that outcome four times last season. But um, in the Premier League, United won to nil 15 times, which was more than anybody else. City and Arsenal both did that 13 times. So... I was looking at that thinking, yeah, that's possibly a good shout. Um, I do think United will win. I mean, Forest have got the second best expected goals against so far. And whilst that does include playing at home against Sheffield United, they have been to Arsenal. So, I mean, it, you know, not a bad achievement to be second in the, the league for that at this stage, having, having gone to the Emirates. But, um, I think the, the bet for me was under three goals at plus 107. Um, because basically neither team has got a particularly reliable finisher. I mean, we've seen that with United. They beat Wolves 1-0 thanks to a goal from from Varane and, and wasted some good chances at Tottenham, as we said. There is a bit of a risk here. I mean, clearly they, they could quite easily beat Forest 3-0. They showed last season that they that they did that and they that could happen again. But with their struggles to score goals and Forest doing reasonably well defensively, I think I think this is going to be a low scoring game. So a plus price for for under three was uh, was my play because I think that looks a very likely outcome. Interesting, yeah. I know you, you mentioned the win to nil there. I was it was a toss up for me between taking United on the handicap or the win to nil, and I just thought, given the makeup of that current midfield, the fact that they look fairly easy to play through, mm-hmm. uh, I was happy to just take the handicap uh, and just almost anticipate United outscoring Forest rather than um, re- relying on a clean sheet, which uh, at this moment yeah. in time doesn't look very, um, doesn't look like the smart thing to do given mm-hmm. <laughs> given the way United played against uh, Wolves in particular, the way, especially the last home game, we were all over the place at the back end. They probably should have drawn that game. Uh, and then, yeah, against Spurs, 
just yeah for the for the first hour they were pretty good and then it just mm. kind of the wheels just came off as soon as the goal went in so um yeah an interesting play on the under there that's um i think i can definitely see the uh the fact forest might not contribute at all to that <laughs> game um being part of your thinking there so there we have it. Man United on the handicap for myself and Gareth. Under three for Andrew. Um, Brentford Palace is our next game. And Brentford, who emphatic win over Fulham last time out. 3-0 away from home. Uh, and that comes off the back of a pretty impressive draw with Tottenham, uh, in which they actually won the XG battle. Now, an interesting quirky stat about Brentford is that all of the goals they've scored in the Premier League since Ivan Tony's been suspended have been scored by either... Johan Visser or Brian and Buemo. No one else has scored for Brentford <laughs> apart from the, those two, which I think is really, really quirky and, uh, and interesting. And they've scored quite a few. Um, Palace beaten by Arsenal, um, Monday night football. Again, it was pretty much a no contest until the sending off. Um, and then Crystal Palace kind of grew into the game, as you'd expect. Racked up a few late chances. Um, and that came off uh, after a, a win over Sheffield United, which again is to be expected by everyone, I would imagine, apart from Luton this season. Um, Crystal Palace, interestingly, played 12 Premier League games under Roy Hodgson or since his return. Mm-hmm. Only three of them have come against teams who finish in the top half. Um, and in those three matches, they drew one and lost two. So, you know, basically, Roy's been stat padding against the bottom half to get his record Looking pretty tidy. Um, Brentford's, they're odds against at plus 107 in this match. I think you can tell by my odds against quote there that I'm probably going to take Brentford to win this. Um, Palace at plus 286 to get the win. The handicap is at half a goal. The goal line set of very low looking 2.25. Obviously, Tony's missing for Brentford. He's long-term absentee. Um, Ben Mee is the other one who is questionable. Um, Elise is still out of Crystal Palace uh, we're not sure on when he's going to return obviously he's a key creator for them uh, a new signing Matthias Franca he's not ready yet he won't be in um, I'm going to go first again if that's alright Andrew mm-hmm. because I'm locking in a one and a half unit bet on Brentford to win at plus 107 I think that price is incredible um, it's actually the same bet as Gareth again which I don't know if, if I should be happy that he's in line with what I'm putting up again or, or sad about it but yeah, they, I just don't think this is um, priced correctly. I think they should be odds on. Um, we banged the drum all season long last season about Brentford just being a team to get on side when they're playing at home. Whenever the price is right, you know, generally when they're odds against against a team, I expect to finish in the bottom half. That is an automatic play for me. They won 10 of 19 at home last season. They lost only twice. And their expected goal difference per game at plus 0.65. So they were very, very good um, whenever they played in front of their own fans. They were very good in the draw against Tottenham as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned before, they won the XG battle, racked up nearly two expected goals and conceded 1.5. So they didn't have a lot of the ball in that game, but they were very effective in their chance creation. And I don't expect anything different here. In dominant away at Fulham, racked up the chances against Fulham, over 3.6 expected goals. Um, and then, yeah, pa- Palace, they step into the ring. Um, deserve winners against Sheffield United, admittedly. But when up against better opposition, they were very toothless yet again. Uh, before Tommy Asu's red card, the XG read 2.2 to 0.3 in Arsenal's favour. So it should have been game over pretty much before the red card for, I don't know, I thought it was a very soft second yellow, barely any contact. Um, and yeah, no, we weren't very good travellers last season under Roy Hodgson. They only played five times. 
Um, all five or four of the five came against um, teams that finished in 10th and below. They beat Leeds and Southampton away from home, so two of the relegated teams. They lost to Wolves and Tottenham. So Wolves was, was a, I don't know if you call it a bad defeat, but Wolves were just average last season. Spurs, they lost to Spurs, average as well. And Fulham, a draw at Craven Cottage. I don't know, for me, is again, they're, they're an average side. So they've not played anyone good away from home under Roy Hodgson. I think Brentford are good. So I'm taking Brentford to win. Um, Andrew, any plays on this game? Um, I don't have a strong play. I mean, I do agree with you regarding Brentford. I think they probably will win. I think, you know, you, I think you're sort of seeing the true picture of Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace this season. You know, obviously they, he sort of wowed people with, with some of those big wins last, last year. But I mean, he's come back now for this season. They've had a one nil win and a, and a one nil defeat. I mean, if you ask, <laughs> certainly if you ask Liverpool fans, they'll be expecting a one one draw here because he had a, he had a record of winning one, drawing one and losing one. And I think when you look at um, this fixture last season, or both games between these sides, they both ended 1-1 as well. And I was looking at the data from last season and using it to sort of make a prediction for this. And it said it was sort of 50-50 chance for both teams to score yes or no. And 53-47 for under or over 2.5. Like, I think everything points towards it being quite a, quite a tight game. And, and both teams were in the top six for games with under 2.5 goals last season. So I was sort of tempted by the under 2.25, but obviously that's a very low line. That could that could easily go. So, um, yeah, no, no real play from me on this one. But I, I am agreeing with you that I think Brentford are, are much the better side and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they won this one. Okay, come on, you bees. Our next game in the Feature 5, Saturday 5.30 kickoff. Um, yeah, Brighton, I mean... Top of the table, back to back four one wins. Yep. They're creating a ridiculous amount of chances at the minute. Um four point four XG against Luton, three point two against Wolves. Um staggering really. And you know, granted we can't get carried away because he played Luton and Wolves. Luton, the team everyone thinks is gonna finish bottom. Wolves looking more and more like a you know, fourth or fifth worst, or in the bottom five at least. Um, so this is a kind of a first real test against European Conference League winners, West Ham, um, team that were unfortunate to finish so low in the league last season. But they are obviously a little bit depleted in terms of um, their squad. Um, but yeah, they come into this off the back of a very good win against Chelsea. They were effective, I think would be the word. Um, vintage Moyes kind of sit back, soak pressure and take a chance that really shouldn't have gone in. Uh, late penalty to bump the scoreline up to 3-1. But, you know, they've got four points so far this season. It's been a decent start for them. Many people had them as a potential crisis club, given the you know the off-field issues with David Moyes and the recruitment staff that were going head-to-head. Um, obviously losing Declan Rice, not bringing in another striker, having sold uh, Skamaka. But so far, it's been pretty good on the pitch. Um, the issue they've got, though, is... Brighton did the double over West Ham last season. They won 2-0 in London, 4-0 at the Amex. And if we stretch it back to when they first came into the Premier League, Brighton, 2017, West Ham have never beaten Brighton. Never beaten them in the Premier League. They've played 12 times. Brighton have won six, drawn six. So for whatever reason, West Ham are a bit of a bogey. Uh, Brighton are a bogey side for West Ham. Um, only absentee really for Brighton is, is Jakob Moda, who is a long-term injury. West Ham are obviously missing Aguerd, who was sent off against Chelsea. Uh, no injuries, though. So, potentially, 
interesting one there. Aguero, who's a you know starting centre half, and they've just brought in Mavra, Mavropanos, the guy who used to be at Arsenal. They brought him in from uh, from German football. Whether he comes straight in and plays alongside Zuma will be interesting. But um, yeah, I'm going to get your thoughts first on this, Andrew. Um, you know, it seems like we've got a bit of a you know <laughs> like a very attack minded top level Brighton team taking on what could be a very reserved cautious David Moyes West Ham team yeah it's another it's another interesting game I think it's sort of low-key quite a big game for both teams in the sense that they'll both be on the European treadmill soon enough and you know this is an opportunity to sort of play play a game of the week's preparation which they won't have too much between now and sort of the new year probably so like I say a bit, bit of a big game I think clearly this is one where goals are expected. I mean, I was looking at both teams to score and over 2.5 goals. That was at minus 102 when I was making my notes yesterday. It's now minus 112. Um, the line for the goals was at three. It's now at over 3.25 and stuff like that. So clearly goals are expected. I mean, I think that could well be down to when you look at um, Brighton's games, as we say, two four one wins. When you look at the XG on FB Ref, I mean, they gave up 1.5 to Luton and, and 2.1 to Wolves. And, and there'll, there'll be a lot of teams that don't give up that many opportunities to, to Luton and Wolves this season. So as good as Brighton have looked, they're clearly a little bit vulnerable. Um, so again, probably not a, not a strong play for this. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly confident that the Brighton will win. I mean, looking at them on the, the handicap, can they win by two with a sort of minus one? I'm not sure, but, um, yeah. One where I'm expecting goals, and uh, as I say, my initial sort of thought was was both teams to score an over 2.5 goals because I think West Ham can probably cause Brighton enough problems to at least get on the score sheet, even if I expect Brighton to to probably win it. Yeah, I, I think goals are the play as well. I was toying with Brighton on the handicap, which is like some set of minus one, um, and over three goals was going to be my play. Um, and I, I ended up settling on the goal line. Uh, I'm going to put a unit on over three goals at minus 124. So the line is at 3.25 at the minute. I'm just going to drop it to, to three, um, which means it's a full... Um, if, if there's exactly three goals, I get my money back. If there's four goals or more, we get a winner. Obviously, any less it is a loser. Um, but yeah, just looking at some of the stats from last season, um, eight of Brighton's 14 home games against teams who finished below them went over two and a half goals. Seven of 14 um, saw over three land. So seven of 14 home games had four goals or more, basically. Um, if you include Luton from this season, that's eight of 15. And they've started the season in just utterly brilliant, chaotic style. Um, the two matches have seen 10 goals and 12.2 expected goals, which is just bonkers, really. Um, I can't see that continuing for <laughs> the rest of the season. And as much as I would enjoy it, I just don't think it's going to happen, but um, it kind of shows just just the nutty nature of Brighton that they are wide open defensively, but they will, you know, probably outscore you on a week to week basis. Um, West Ham six goals, six point three xG over two matches, so still you know average of three goals, three point one five xG. Um, granted, it's it's a small sample size, but. They did look very vulnerable um, defensively, I thought, against Chelsea. Um, they allowed them a lot of territory, a lot of possession in the final third. And I think if they do that to this Brighton team, I think Brighton have got a little bit more about them at this moment in time than Chelsea um, in carving open a deep line block. I think that they'll get found out. Um, but again, they showed that they're very lethal on the counter-attack, West Ham. Um, whether it is just Mikel Antonio on his own or if everyone else wants to join in as well. But um, yeah, I'm taking over three goals Um 
which is minus 124. I, I think we'll at least get a push in this game. I'd be shocked if there's less than less than three goals. Um, Gareth has locked in Brighton to win and both teams to score at plus 186. So kind of lean on what you were saying there in terms of um, BTTS and overs. And he's obviously leaning with, with Brighton, uh, bagging a couple of extra goals. Final game of our featured five is... It's probably the game I'm looking forward to most this weekend, really. Uh, it's a real litmus test for for both uh, Newcastle versus Liverpool. It is, um, yeah, the team that finished fourth against the team that finished fifth last season. And it is a bit of a statement game for both, really. I think if Liverpool went to Newcastle and got the victory, it would be a little bit eyebrow-raising um, in terms of their prospects of potentially title challenging. I don't think many teams will go up to St. James's Park and win. But likewise for Newcastle, if they can beat Liverpool, that really puts them in a strong position um, going into game week four, having played Villa, Liverpool and City and come away with six points. That'd be really impressive. But, um, but as it is, they come in on the back of a defeat to Manchester City. Very, very tight game. Did really look quite toothless, actually, um, in that match. I don't know if that was City being good or Newcastle being a little bit little bit off it. Um, but I think a return, return home is going to be really cru- crucial for them. they hammered Villa on opening weekend. Liverpool came from behind to beat Bournemouth last time out. But um, yeah, they've not been very good on the travels recently, have they, Andrew? I mean, six wins in 20 away matches since last uh, start of last season's Premier League. They've lost eight times in that that period. And I know the flip side, Newcastle have won 12 of 20 home games, losing just twice. Granted, one of those defeats was to Liverpool last season. So the Reds did go up there and beat them. Um, but yeah, we're looking at the prices at the minute. Newcastle plus 118 to win. Um, Liverpool plus 230. I know that Liverpool price might appeal to quite a few people. It's a big price for uh, a team that many would expect to finish in the top four. Uh, the handicap is at a quarter of a goal. So Newcastle minus 0.25 is minus 109 currently. And the goal line is, is one of the highest of the week. It's 3.25 um, over plus 105 under minus 118. Um, Andrew, you're the Liverpool fan, so I'm going to let you go first. Uh, are you expecting much from the Reds in this match? I certainly think they're capable of it, but I can't ignore that price of Newcastle at plus 118 to win, to be honest, in view of um, both their good home record, Liverpool's struggles on the road, as you say. I mean, I was looking at the, the 538 data from last season, and that was suggesting a Newcastle win should be more like sort of minus 130 or something like that. So to get plus 118, um, that, that really appeals to me as much as it sort of pains me to say it. But, you know, we, we saw Liverpool drew 1-1 at Chelsea, but I mean, Chelsea had five opt to define big chances in that game. They could easily have, have won that match. And obviously Liverpool have what many people consider the best goalkeeper in the world. And that's his job to sort of keep those opportunities out. But we saw as well with Newcastle's 5-1 win over Aston Villa. I mean, they just repeatedly exploited Villa's high line. And obviously Liverpool play in a sort of broadly similar way. So a Liverpool team that, that gives up a lot of big chances against a Newcastle team with a with a strong defence and a strong home record, I've just got to look at, at Newcastle to win because the, the price is too good not to really, for me anyway. Yeah, that must hurt, backing against your own team. <laughs> uh, I do it every week. <laughs> if Wednesday lose every week. Um, but yeah, I'm on the same lines. That's the same bet for me. Uh, a unit play, Newcastle to win, plus 118. Um, yeah, I, I think I was expecting a bit shorter, to be honest. Uh, I think the price is, is a little bit too big, which is why we're taking it. Um, 
Newcastle are very reliable when playing at home. XG process was sensational last season. Two and a half expected goals, four per game, 0.95 against. Um, so kind of Man City levels in terms of uh, home process when playing at St. James's. Liverpool, very unreliable away from home. As we've said, the results have been bad. The performances have been poor as well. And, and the process kind of speaks for that. 1.78 expected goals for per game in the last 20 away matches. 1.78 expected goals against per game as well. So um, very vulnerable defensively. Obviously, they always carry that attacking threat with the players that they've got there. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's going to be one of those games. I think the the interesting line that you mentioned there is is the fact that they play such a high line, similar to what Aston Villa do, that if they get that wrong on a couple of occasions, it's you know, you're looking at game over pretty easily because Newcastle will be looking to pinch that ball and that kind of attack, almost deep block that they play. It's like a semi-mid block. They'll look to pinch it at the top end of that block and release very quickly. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. The, the midfield battle for me is crucial. The fact that McAllister's suspension has been overturned mm. was a little bit of a nagging doubt for me because I do feel as though when he's there, Soberslides there, I'm expecting Endo to come in and start. Mm-hmm. Um, you've, you've got your kind of starting midfield three there. Um, so I was a little bit wary, not knowing what kind of what Endo will bring, how that midfield will look with him in there. But then I remembered that this is would be the first game of them all playing together. And that kind of calmed my fears. Um, the fact that they've not, you know, we, we've got to see it first to believe it, that it's going to revolutionise Liverpool and make them the force that they were. Um, yeah, I think Newcastle to win is definitely the bet here. Um, and, you know, I'd probably say this is a tougher away test than, than Chelsea on the, on the opening weekend. Mm. Uh, I was quite bullish in taking Liverpool on the handicap to, to get a result at Chelsea. I was a little bit disappointed, actually, in how easily Chelsea adapted in that game and kind of quietened Liverpool's attack. Um, and just with the ease in which they kind of created chances as well from all sorts of different aspects, whether it be set pieces um, you know, set pieces that have gone back out, come back in second phase, um, and just generally, you know, I think Ben Chilwell had a goal disallowed that was very similar to the kind of things I expect to see Newcastle do, which was high line, one ball through, ran the goalkeeper and tap in. So, yeah, um, yeah Newcastle to win. Um, what can Liverpool fans expect from Endo? Is he is he kind of a Fabinho style destroyer, or has he got a little bit more about him? Well, I'll be honest. I mean, I don't know too much about him, but I, th- I thought it was really interesting that there was a lot of sort of negativity generally from from Liverpool fans when the move was announced, and yet sort of Bundesliga experts were saying, "Oh no, no, he'll be he'll be great for Liverpool. This is a good signing." You know, he's one of those players who has racked up huge defensive numbers. Um, you know, the, the sort of counter argument to that is, well, that's because he sort of plays every week. He was playing for a struggling Stuttgart team, come under a lot more pressure than than he will at Liverpool, but. With the, with the midfielders Liverpool have, have had in the last couple of years, particularly last season where it all kind of went wrong, if you're giving me a guy who can play every week because he's constantly available and who can record these defensive numbers, then as far as I'm concerned, that's a good thing. Whether he's ultimately good enough for Liverpool, I'm certainly willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because of, of what he has delivered. If he can do that for them, then, then logically he should be able to do it at a team who don't have to defend quite as often. Whether that pans out, we'll we'll have to see. But I'm I'm sort of reasonably confident he can prove to be a good signing. But as I say, I'm, I'm not too familiar with him yet, so it sort of remains to be seen as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so it's one of those, isn't it? Like the fee was minimal compared to the stuff they were bidding for Caicedo and Lavia. So it's it's almost a risk worth taking. Um, yeah, 
I do feel as though this is a throwing him in at the deep end if he does start because there's the, the there are teams in the Premier League that don't press as intensely from midfield uh, as Newcastle do. I think Newcastle are probably up there with one of the most intense pressers from their midfield trio. It's probably gone up another level with Tonali in there now as well. Um, it's going to be under pressure a lot. It's going to be really interesting to see how he deals with that. Um, Gareth has taken over three and a quarter goals at plus 106. So he's gone over the goal line, which is very high. Um, so that's half a bet on over three, half a bet on over three and a half. So if there's four goals, it's a full win. Um, if there's three goals, it's a half loss. That's the featured five. So it's time for rapid fire. And we're going to start on Friday night's match, which is Chelsea taking on Luton. Um, yeah, Chelsea. Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. I mean, what's that stat that was going around earlier in the, in the week? Um, more signings than points since Todd Bowley took over, which, yeah, doesn't, it doesn't read great, does it? <laughs> With the ownership and the money that they've spent. Uh, I'm sure it'll all come together. I, I am a, a Poch fan. I do trust in Poch. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to take a while, though, looking at, uh, at recent performances. There are glimpses of positivity. Um, and, you know, in theory, he should get off off the mark here against a Luton team that you know, I personally think are going to finish bottom, second bottom of the league. They're going to really struggle. I think the kind of gulf in quality between the, the squads uh, themselves and the rest of the Premier League really is, is huge. So, um, yeah, the only issue Chelsea have is injuries. I mean, they're piling up as well. And Kunku uh, injured before the season started. Uh, Badia Shile as well. Wesley Fofana um, also out long term and Carney Chukwameka got injured last week which is a bit of a blow because he was playing really well uh, Reese James is reportedly not quite ready for this game so maybe one for next week but he also pulled up with an injury in training um, I'll go first on this quick fire I'm taking Chelsea win to nil very straightforward minus 106 um, they were unfortunate to lose to West Ham draw was probably a fair result based on the chances created in the match, having said that, if, if Fernandez scores that penalty and Chelsea go 2-1 up, it's a different game altogether and, and they probably go on and win. But, um, you know, they dominated territory, they pressed really well and they maintained the pressure as well in terms of recycling the ball, which I think is something that we will see more of here. Luton will sit, set up in a very um, deep block, no doubt, at Sanford Bridge. And yeah, given the way they were overran by a very good Brighton team on opening weekend, um yeah, I'm fully expecting Chelsea to do similar. And the reason I'm going win to nil, Luton, I, I, I don't expect them to score every week. You know, the, I think most teams do score when they play against Brighton, given the fact that they are a bit like a basketball team. Um, Chelsea have allowed just 2.2 non-penalty expected goals against uh, so far this season against two better attacking teams and kind of highlights that that defensive solidity is there. Um, it's just building on it now. Um, so yeah, I'm taking Chelsea win to nil, minus 106. Gareth's also on the same bet. Andrew, Patrick? No, I, I think you're probably right, but I, I just have so little faith in Chelsea at the moment that I've just gone no bet. I think I'm almost certain they're going to win. I mean, it'd be one of the, the shocks of all time if they don't. But at the same time, I'm just not sure where to sort of place the bet because are they going to win by a lot? Are they going to win by one? You know, you look at their last 10 home games of last season, they had 16.3 expected goals and they scored seven times. And they should generate chances here, no question, but are they going to be able to take them? You know, I think Nicholas um, Jackson looks lively and stuff like that. Um, he's, he's sort of impressed me, the, the bits I've seen of him. I mean, he scored 12 goals last season, uh, which is certainly not bad, but I mean, he's obviously not hugely, hugely prolific yet. 
And so, as I say, I'm not really sure what to take what to take from that. And I'm not, I'm not even ruling out that that Luton might score. I mean, they like to cross. They might be able to get in behind the Chelsea wing backs. Um, not too impressed with with Robert Sanchez. I think he's sort of below average for for shot stopping from a from a goalkeeper. I think I saw Luton um, in the Brighton game. Obviously, the only game we have for them in the top flight. Um, this season, I think they had something like 22 crosses and only had 30% possession. So they're going to be putting the ball in there. If they can make something of it, I'm not sure I trust Sanchez. So just all of those things leaves me not sure where to go. So I, I was sort of no bet, but, um, I think you'll probably be right. You all logic dictates Chelsea should win to nil, but I just can't trust them. Yeah. I mean, I completely understand where you're coming from. We are working on a very small body of work for Chelsea in terms of, you know, it's more, it's more projecting mm. Chelsea rather than, um, taking what we've seen. I expect them to improve game to game. But if you are a Luton believer, you can back Luton at plus 1,199 to win at Stamford Bridge. Or if you want to play it safe, take them on the handicap plus one and three quarters at minus 101. Um, next on rapid fire, we are going to the Emirates. It's Arsenal v Fulham. Um, Arsenal two wins from two. Kind of unconvincing, but they won't care. Six points on the board. Fulham, as I mentioned at the top of the show, are a team that I am looking to oppose every week at the minute. Um, Arsenal, quite a few absentees. Obviously, Gabriel Jesus, uh, and Julian Timber, they are long term. Uh, they aren't going to be back for a while. And Tommy Asu is suspended for this one. Um, Fulham, Tim Ream was an all, another red card. He was one of the five that got sent off last week. He is suspended. Um, Andrew, any plays in this one? Yeah, pretty straightforward. I think it's Arsenal to win and expect goals in, in some capacity. I mean, Arsenal and the, the overs paid out in pretty much all of their games against the, the bottom 10 last season, I think, apart from that Southampton match. So, You'd have to expect something something similar here. I'm sort of starting to wonder if um, Bernd Leno is going to do something sort of like Jose Sarr the other year. Jose Sarr massively overachieved at Wolves against the XG in his first season and then has sort of dropped off a cliff a bit since. And I sort of wonder if Leno is going to do the same. He was you know, a big part of keeping Fulham up last season. And I think if he has just like a sort of normal kind of season... That's going to be a big problem for them. You, you know, you mentioned earlier in the show about how sort of defensively vulnerable they are. And, um, you know, I, I sort of see no reason for that to change here, particularly. So, um, I was looking at Arsenal to win and over 2.5 goals was minus 134 when I looked the other day. Um, I suspect that's changed. I can't seem to find it now, but, um, yes, Arsenal and goals basically is, is my thinking here. Yeah, very similar lines to me. I am going to be brave and take Arsenal on the handicap, though. Um, the line is currently set at minus two. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take the minus two at plus 107. Um, so, obviously, we would need Arsenal to win by three goals or more for this to be a full win. Um, and if they win by two or more, it's a push. So, yeah, it's a full unit for me at that price. As I said, Fulham, in my opinion, are one of the teams that we need to watch for relegation. Um, expected goals against per game last season, 1.88, as Andrew touched upon there. Burnt Leno was the difference, really, between them being comfortable top-half team and a team fighting against relegation. So far this season, they've conceded 2.6 expected goals against Everton. Now, any team that goes to Everton and concedes over two expected goals has got a problem because Everton are one of the worst attacking teams in the league. Um, and again, that was purely down to Burnt Leno. He had a massive overperforming day in that in that occasion. He made a lot of good saves. 
Um, they must have subbed him out for the Brentford game because um, he did not. Uh, there was some immediate regression, I guess you could call it. But Brentford were very clinical with their chances. 3.5 XG, they had a lot of chances, um, but they put them past Leno. He didn't anything to stop them. Um, and yeah, they've lost Alexander Mitrovic, who was obviously the top scorer from last season um, and kind of a focal point of their attack. But, you know, they could replace him with... Erling Haaland and it won't make too much of a difference in my mind because defensively they are really really bad and yes Arsenal have been slow out of the blocks but they should have been outside against Crystal Palace um, they should have been further outside against Nottingham Forest um, and if you look at their games against bottom half teams last season which I think Fulham will be a bottom half team this campaign yeah. they won 9 of 10 and they covered the minus 2 handicap in 5 of those matches pushing in 3 so this bet would have only lost in 2 of 10 home games against the bottom half last season. So I'm fairly confident that Arsenal can do the job for us. Um, we did give this a little bit of a warm-up at the top of the show. Everton versus Wolves is next up on quick fire. Um, it does feel like a very big game early on in this campaign. Uh, both teams winless. Um, Everton goalless as well. Both teams off the back of you know pretty big hidings in game week two. Um, a long list of injuries for Everton. Uh, Deli Ali, Jack Harrison, Alexi Wobie, Dwight McNeil, Seamus Coleman. They're all long-term absentees. Uh, especially Wobie, McNeil and Coleman were kind of crucial at the back end of last season. Um, new signings, Chermiti, he's not ready yet. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin did suffer a cheek injury last week. He's 50-50, according to the injury site I use. Um Matias Nunez is suspended for Wolves. Uh, interestingly, he's been linked with a move to Man City. We're recording this on Wednesday. He, he's he been linked with a move to City this week, which, yeah, I don't know if I've seen enough from him to suggest that would be a, a wise move for Man City. But I guess Pep and, you know, the, the trust people at Man City know more than I do. Um, do you have a play in this one? It's a massive game. Uh, I, I don't. I personally will be swerving the normal traditional one x two markets. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I could pick a winner, but I do have a play. But I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, as we've said, I mean it's a huge game. I, I was sort of interested in um, looking at teams who had zero points and a goal difference of at least minus five after three games, which would be the situation for either of these teams should they lose it. Um, 25 instances in, in Premier League history and 11 of them went down. So it's just three games in. And if you, you know, if you lose this, then you, you probably look at at least a 50 50 chance of, of going down, at least based on history. That's how important this is. Um, I think you have to look at the fact that they've got one goal between them so far this season. And that was scored by Wolves when they were already 4 0 down. So it's sort of neither here nor there, really. Last season, the top teams for both teams to score no bets were Bournemouth and Wolves. So you're looking at Gary O'Neill past and present teams, basically. I think Wolves have a little bit more about them, but um, both teams to score no is available at plus 106. And that looks to be the play for me because you can easily see this being nil-nil. Both teams will want to keep it tight. Both teams struggle to score goals. So um, that's the play for me. But in terms of which way it goes, I think it's very difficult to call. It's interesting. You're going against goals. I'm going opposite. I'm actually going to go with goals. Um, I, I remember doing this in this exact fixture last season when it was, I think it was Julian Lopetegui's first game um, as Wolves manager, his first game after the World Cup break. I remember going with overs in that game. Uh, I was saved by, I think it was a 94th minute <laughs> breakaway goal from 10-man Wolves. But I just got a feeling that this is going to be, because you know, as the stats you've mentioned there have highlighted, this is pretty important 
mm. for the long term in terms of survival. And obviously, I think many of us, I certainly am looking at this game as a bit of a six-pointer because you've got you know, two of the six favourites for relegation going head-to-head and two teams that have really struggled so far. Um, I think this could be... Both will look at this as an opportunity to get one over on a rival and we'll probably view it as a must-win game, even though it is early in the season. Um, and then you look at the, fix- the, the figures as well. Everton, they created plenty in that home game against Fulham. Granted, I've just touched on Fulham being wretched defence, but um, they also look all over the place at the back. I mean, over three expected goals against Aston Villa, that was a really bad performance. 1.6 against Fulham, so they even managed to create. And then Wolves have looked more attack-minded under O'Neill. You know, they've not looked like a typical Wolves team that we've known from the last um, three or four years under Nuno, under Bruno Large, under Lopetegui. They've actually had a go um, and generated 1.7 XG at Man United. Yes, most of the chances they created were when they were behind against Brighton, but they still put up 2.7 XG in that match. So they, you know, they have shown a bit more creativity. Um, so yeah, I think the goal line looked a bit low to me. So I was going to take a unit on over 2.25 goals at minus 121. Gareth is leaning into the 1x2, or kind of. He's taking Wolves on the handicap. Uh, it's a quarter goal handicap at the minute at minus 115. I have a feeling this Burnley-Villa one is going to be quick. Um, Burnley obviously only played once this season. A 3-0 defeat to Man City. They were kind of okay at best. Um, Villa managed to get the goal difference back to zero after the opening weekend hammering. Um, yeah, Everton to thank for that 4-0 victory. They obviously play in midweek in the Europa Conference League qualifiers. They're actually playing at the time of recording. Um, very strong team Unamri's put out, actually. As, as you would expect, he does take his European competitions very seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of injuries for Villa, obviously. We've got Emby Buendia, Taro Mings, Andrew Dendonka, Jacob Ramsey and Philip Coutinho injured last week, all long-term. Um, Villa, they've got Zarawi suspended, who was sent off in that match against Manchester City. Uh, very quick for me, no bet. Anything from you? No, basically the same. I mean, I think Aston Villa, I think I sort of think they will probably win, but um, it's so hard to get a read on Burnley. I mean, you know, just speaking for myself, I, I don't really watch the championship very often, so I, I don't know much about them from from last season. I mean, I've looked at the XG and I saw that they weren't the best side according to the numbers in the division last season. So I'm sort of siding with, um, with Aston Villa. But yeah, similarly... I don't know enough about them, so I, I was going to say no bet as well. Just just on tonight's game, I have to mention, I see that um, Ollie Watkins has scored a hat-trick. Um, I had him to nice. score in the Everton game. Villa scored four goals and he didn't get one of them. So um, typically he saved that up to get a hat-trick tonight, which is uh, just the way it goes sometimes. But uh, yeah, with the, with the game against Burnley, yeah, I'm not sure enough to, to put a bet on that one. Yeah, I don't know how much we can read into those two wins over Everton and Hibernian. Um, <laughs> but if you like Villa, I mean, the price currently is plus 117. It might come in a little bit off the back of this uh, thumping win. Um, like I said, no bet. It's also no bet for Gareth, so it's a no bet across the board. Um, so apologies if anyone wants to have a bet in Burnley. <laughs> Villa, we've not really helped you out there. Um, finally, the last game that we're going to run through on the quick fire is Sheffield United versus Manchester City. And... Sheffield United are one of the biggest prices I think I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus 1,589. Now, I would imagine that when Luton go to the Etihad, that will be the biggest price we've ever seen in the Premier League. But yeah, if you fancy Sheffield United to cause an upset, you're getting a massive price there. The handicap is at two. The goal line is at three. Um, I'm going to keep it very simple. 
you know, we, we know there's a couple of injuries for Man City. De Bruyne is out for four or five months. Stones is, is not going to be ready until after the international break. But it's the same for Sheffield United. Daniel Jebison, Ollie McBurney, George Baldock, Max Lowe, Jaden Bogle, they're all out. Uh, Koulibaly, Brewster and Fleck also out. So, um, sorry, no, the first list were questionable. So they could play, could not play. Um, two units, Man City win to nil. Very quick and easy for me. Minus 141. Uh, Blades have been toothless so far. 0.4 XG against Crystal Palace at home. 0.55 against Nottingham Forest. Two average teams, hard to see them cause City many problems. As we've banged on about since the start of the season, they've literally sold all their best attacking players from last season or not recruited them back on, on loan, a couple of them from Manchester City. Um, yeah, I get the feeling City are still in second gear. Like They've not even kicked on yet. They've hammered Burnley 3-0, conceded just 0.3 XG in that game. And Newcastle was a very comfortable victory, 0.2 XG. And they're both better sides than Sheffield United, let's be honest. So... Very simple for me. It's probably, I think it's might be my biggest play of the season, the two units. I don't know if I've gone to two units so far, but yeah, it's a very confident one for me. Um, Andrew? I mean, it's impossible to, to disagree with any of that, isn't it, really? I mean, um, they met in the FA Cup semi-final last season and Man City won 3-0 in that. And I mean, Sheffield United are weaker now than they were then. Um, so you can't really make a case for them for them doing anything, really. I mean... I was looking on the, the handicap, Man City minus two is at minus 106. Um, in away games against the bottom eight last season, City won by at least three goals four times and by two goals twice. You've got Erling Haaland who hasn't scored for a whopping two games, so he'll probably see this as an opportunity to bang in four goals or something like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, Man City on the handicap, Man City to nil, over three goals. I think any of these could come in because it should be a really comfortable win for City. Yeah, there you have it. Uh, Gareth has also gone for City on the handicap. That's his play in that one. Uh, all of Gareth's picks, I should say, are one unit plays. Obviously, I've differentiated mine a little bit. A couple of half units, a couple of one and a half, uh, and a two unit to finish off. But that wraps us up. That's all of the matches. Um, Andrew, I believe you've written a article on Golden Boot this season. Where can we read that and what does it entail? Yeah, that's available on Pinnacle. It's sort of an update of an article I wrote a few years ago, which which immediately sort of became out of date when Erling Haaland came in and scored, was it 36 goals last season? Sort of the parameters of what was a golden boot, you know, a chance of winning it for a player has sort of shifted quite considerably. So it's kind of a look at like getting into that sort of region of goals and what are the sort of trends the players have to start quickly. What's their expected goals like? That sort of thing. Um, so that's, yeah, that's on the Pinnacle website. I think everybody's sort of expecting Haaland to win. Last time I checked, I think the market had shifted from listing all the players to just Haaland, yes or no. Uh, so it's kind of Haaland against the rest. Um, but I, I think everybody would expect him to win it again. But yeah, it's just to sort of look at how do players get to sort of 22 goals or more? What kind of does that entail and how likely is it and that sort of thing? Awesome. It sounds like a must read, um, even if it's just projecting kind of halfway through the season, like what, you know, kind of what does a team or what does a player need to do to be in the conversation? Um, and yeah, the without Harlem market in the futures is is the way to go, really. You know, not disrespecting anyone else in that, you know, any other goal scorers in the Premier League, but it'll take some beating, mm. I reckon. Um, also, if you haven't already... Do listen to Advantage Betters, the US Open 2023 tennis preview. It's available on SoundCloud, Apple, and YouTube. All the best insights and bets across the US Open. Um, that's us. 
Good stuff. Uh, thank you for joining me, Andrew. Thank you for stepping in. Um, best of luck on your plays this week. This has been EPL Insights, Game Week 3. I'm Jay Cosgathorpe, at jcos on Twitter. Andrew, your Twitter handle? Is at base tune to red. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I'm still calling it Twitter. I know we should call it X now, <laughs> but um, either way, social channel, at base tune to red there for Andrew. Um, this has been Game Week 3. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.